Bible, although you'll notice as we read through um, John chapter 6, or excuse me, Mark chapter 6, and then we're going to, at the end, go to Matthew chapter 14. There's one part of the account that Mark leaves out, and um, Matthew doesn't. So, Mark chapter number 6, beginning in verse number 45. The Bible says, And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida while he sent away the people. Let me just stop for a second. Of course, if you weren't here last week or if you forgot, last week we did the feeding of the 5,000. So that's, those are the people that they're leaving behind and now they're getting in the ship and they're going to go to the other side. In verse 46, And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. So you get the picture, he sends the disciples into the ship, and he goes up into the mountain, Jesus, and he's praying there. And then the Bible says, And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. And when they had passed over, they came into the land of Gennesaret and drew to the shore. And when they were come out of the ship, straightway they knew him and ran through the whole region round about and began to carry about in beds those that were sick where they heard he was. And whithersoever he entered into villages or cities or country, they laid the sick in the streets and besought him that they might touch, if it were but the border of his garment. And as many as touched him were made whole. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you'd bless the Bible study this morning. We pray that you would help guide and direct us as we bring this study. Help me as I teach this lesson. Speak to us, Lord, this morning in a very real way, a personal way. Help us to see these truths and to make application to our lives. We're thankful, as always, Lord, for your goodness to us. We're thankful for your mercy. We're thankful for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so you notice here, again, we mentioned this at the end, I believe, of last week's lesson, but verse 45, where it says that, um, and straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship. And uh, again, we had asked the question some weeks ago, why was it at times that Jesus told people that he had healed not to tell anybody or to kind of keep it as a private matter. And uh, But one of the reasons we looked at was in John chapter number 6, and I have it on your handout, verses 14 through 15. We're reminded there that it said, Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. And when Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. 
So that's John's account of the feeding of the 5,000. You remember, that's the only miracle in the Bible that's found in all, all four Gospels. But this is now we're entering into the second year of Jesus' public ministry. And so, as we saw at the end of, of um, the reading this morning, as his popularity grows, the more and more people are hearing about him and more and more people want to be near him. And you saw here how uh, they brought all of these sick folk there and they're all just trying to reach out and they're all just trying to touch him. And so the crowds continue to swell and uh, he's more and more well, well known. But here as he sends us some great lessons, I think that we can learn from this particular account. This is, um, this is the second storm that's recorded in the Bible in which Jesus calms the sea and teaches the disciples some very important truths. And um, the first storm, though, Jesus is with them. When the storm comes in, obviously here in the second storm, he's going to be with them, but he's not with them in the ship when the Bible says that they, uh, they were toiling in rowing, verse 48, and the wind was contrary unto them, and about the fourth watch of the night, that's when Jesus came. But, but they were in the midst of the sea, and it was a difficult experience for the disciples. So, uh, in Mark chapter 4, verse 38, we're reminded the first account, Jesus was in the hinder part of the ship. He was asleep, if you remember. And what was the question that uh, the disciples said to Jesus? Anybody remember a little Bible quiz? The first, the first time Jesus uh, calms the sea, what was the question that the disciples had for Jesus. Go ahead, Kathy. Yeah, carest thou not that we perish? And of course, we know that Jesus does care. But this experience, as we see this taking place here, should be an encouragement to us when we go through the storms of life. And we'll see several of these assurances here in this account. So first is this, I noticed. Look at verse 45 again. And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before Bethsaida and when he sent away the people. So if you notice on your handout, the first thing to think about is when we're going through the difficulties of life or the storms of life is always remember this, that as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's him who brings us to where we're at. He brought them here. He brings us here. He brings us to whatever we're going through. And we need to be mindful of that. And we should be mindful of this too. The, well, you ask, answer this question. Were the disciples in the will of God or were they out of the will of God when this storm came? Were they in the will of God or were they out of the will of God? Huh? They were in the will of God. Why? Well, they believed him, but why? It's the, the, the answer is in verse 45. Well, that's true. That's true, too. But why? But why were they in the will of God? Go ahead. Yeah, he said go. This, he told them to go. He stayed behind, and he tells them to go. So they're in the will of God, and... Um, we're mind, we should always be mindful of that. Notice on your handout, two types of storms that I wrote down for you. There's the storms 
of correction for believers, and then there's the storms of perfection for believers. Uh, so why would why would the now this is not a storm so much of correction, uh, more of a storm of protection, but why would the Lord allow a storm of correction in our lives? What would that tend to what would that tend to um, indicate? Just think of the last question that I asked you. What would what would that tend to indicate if we're in a storm of correction? Yeah, that we're not we're not following the will of God. So sometimes these storms come as storms of correction. So somebody somebody give me an example this morning. There's numerous examples in the Bible, but what what? In fact, there's a very famous example of a storm of correction in the Bible. Um, but what is what was what would be one biblical example of a storm of correction? Man, I could tell everybody got up an hour early this morning. <laughs> hey, got to set your clock, huh? Oh, well, you see, you got to defrost it before you turn it on or something. Anyhow, come on in. Uh, what did you say, Job? Job, a storm of correction. What were you going to say? That's a storm of correction for sure. Not the most, fa a very well-known storm of correction, but I'm thinking of another one. And I'm not, what about, what, what about Job? Is that a, I wouldn't, I, I thought about Job. I'm not sure Job would be a storm of correction. More of a storm of perfection. Yeah, Jonah, that's probably the most well-known storm in the Bible, wouldn't you say? Um, the storm. I, I think I think Job would be a storm of perfection because I was going to ask you. Give me an example. Anybody else can think of another storm of perfection versus correction in the Bible, or another storm of correction versus well, Samson. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a storm of um, correction. What else? Anything else? And what kind of a storm would that be? Perfection. Perfection. Yeah. Good. What else? I thought, I thought another one with Abraham. How about Abraham and Sarah when they go down to Egypt? You remember the Pharaoh sees Abraham, you know, the Pharaoh thinks and looks at Sarah. She's a beautiful woman. But when they got there, what Abraham basically, they, they basically lied. How did they lie? What did they say? There's his sister. And then, Pharaoh sees them, I think the Bible uses the word sporting, and uh, obviously the, uh, they, well, they weren't brother and sister. And uh, so he gets caught on all that. Anything else? Yeah. Huh? Hannah? Yeah, that's a good one. Sure. So all through the Bible we see these types of storms. And, and um, you know, you and I... You're just going to at times go through different storms, storms of correction, uh, storms of perfection, and um, the Lord does this to discipline us sometimes. The Lord does this to edify us and build us up in the faith. Uh, at the very end of this lesson, we're going to see 
an important truth that the disciples at the very end come away with that they didn't, it's been a year now, approximately a year since the first storm, and you're going to see, I think you're going to see how they grew in that year, uh, despite the fact that there are many times that their faith wasn't all that it should be. But Jesus said this in John chapter 16 on the handout, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So we're going to go through different things in life. And um, Jesus has promised that he would never leave us nor forsake us. So remember that. Remember wherever you are, if you're in the will of God, he brought you there. And if you're not in the will of God and a storm comes up, you might just say, huh, wonder why this is taking place and um, reflect upon the scriptures and in your prayer life. But secondly, look at verses 46 now through 48. And so when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And then the Bible says, and when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night he came unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. So here's the second point. Remember that Jesus is praying for you. You know, if we don't have time this morning, but sometime read through the entire of John chapter 17. That is really the Lord's Prayer. We think of the model prayer sometimes as the Lord's Prayer. But John chapter 17 is the Lord's Prayer. But look what it says in the book of Romans, chapter number 8 on your handout. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. So this is a beautiful picture here. You know, one day, of course, Jesus would tell the disciples that he was going to be going away. And of course, he said to them, though, when I go away, I'll send the Comforter. The Comforter will come, and the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, will guide you and teach you all things. But in a sense, this is kind of a, a picture of, there he sends the disciples out into the ship to go across the sea, and Jesus is back there on the mountain, and Jesus is back there praying. In verse, uh, what was it? In verse number um, 48, it says, The wind was contrary unto them. So if you notice on your handout, I wrote that little note. We live in a contrary world, don't we? I mean, as believers, we live in a culture uh, that's contrary to the scriptures. But there's nothing new about that. The, the, we, the belief. We've always been, uh, Christianity's always been counter to the culture. That's just the history of Christianity. And yet the Lord knew that, and the Bible reminds us that the Lord, He prays for us, watches over us, He cares for us. And so there they are. He, they're alone, but they're not really alone. Just as Jesus physically isn't with us, we have, of course, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. But Jesus said that that would happen. He would ascend back up into heaven. And um, notice on your handout, John chapter 17, there 
in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus had said, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And when, he, when you read through John chapter 17, he's not just talking about those that were there with him. He's really talking about believers down all through time. And so the Lord is aware of what our needs are. The Lord's aware of the different storms you know, that, that you and I are going through. And again, this is really just a dramatic scene or picture of the church and the Lord today. So in verse 46, it says, He sent them away. Well, some of the last things that Jesus said to the disciples is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And... Um, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them whatsoever things I have commanded thee. So you and I, we're, if, you, if you liken it to the sea, you and I, we're out in the sea, uh, and this is the journey that the Lord's placed us in, and at times through this journey, these storms are going to kind of come up in our lives. Sometimes they're storms of correction, sometimes they're storms of perfection. But he sees you. And he sees me. Just as he saw the disciples and, and the struggle that they were going through and the difficult things that they were going through. Uh, don't ever forget that. He knows. When it said in verse 48, he saw them toiling and rowing. He saw the struggles. He sees your struggles. He sees the heartache of people and the challenges that people are facing. And um, he promises, he promises that he'll come. And that's really the, the next point on the handout. Remember, Jesus will come. Um, have you ever felt, have you ever felt at times in your Christian life like Jesus just wasn't listening? That happens sometimes if we're honest. Certainly David felt that way at times. Throughout the Psalms, David will write at times about how he felt and um, the struggles that he had. But he's never desert. He, he has Jesus never deserts us, does he? Never. It's a wonderful truth. When the children of Israel were going to go into the Promised Land, look at the instruction that God gave through Moses. Look at Deuteronomy chapter thirty-one. Be strong and of good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that goeth with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. So that promise is just as good today as it was several thousand years ago when it was made. Amen? That's why it's important for us to know these scriptures and to either memorize these scriptures or at least have a general idea so when we're going through a storm, we can, we can remember, wait a minute, wait a minute, the Bible tells me to be of good courage and to fear not. To fear not. All throughout, Jesus was telling them, be not afraid. Look at the, the very last three words of verse 50. Listen, he says, be not afraid. Be not afraid. He's, uh, they were afraid. They thought Jesus, when he's walking on the water, is a spirit. And... Um, they were troubled, but immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Well, this must have been quite a sight. 
And sometimes if you notice too, the Bible says here that the ship was quite a ways out. Sometimes the, uh, where is it? In um, Even was come. The ship was in the midst of the sea, verse 47. So they just had, they hadn't just left. They're quite a ways out. They're not near land. It's amazing sometimes the Lord just allows circumstances to bring us to just the right moment and just the right time in our lives where then he deals with us. And we don't always understand why that is. And in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah said this of God. God said, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. So why God allows these things at times in our lives? I don't have an answer sometimes, but he does. He does. Listen, why do you, let me ask you this question too. So again, this is uh, one of the more well-known scriptures. I mean, most people have, even if they're not Christians, have heard of the fact that Jesus walked on the water. Why do you think Jesus walked on the water? Why do you think that would be? Why did Jesus walk on water? I, 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 this is it's not. Go ahead, Frank. Yeah, well, we'll see that at the end. That's true, Dennis, because when we go to Matthew's account, that's when we see Peter who walked on the water and then he began to sink. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Bill, did you want to say something? I just wondered, he could have walked on the air if he wanted to. He could have walked on the air if he wanted to. Because he's, he's the creator, right, of all that there is. And he's not, when you think about it, he's, he's not, we're, we're bound by... We're bound by time and by space, and um, he's not. I mean, he, he, Jesus, in many ways, voluntarily relinquished, you know, his uh, many of many of the abilities that he had as far as being God in the flesh, to experience life like you and I experience it. But um, just as in the first time where Jesus stands on the bow of that ship and he says, peace be still. He was teaching them way back then. In fact, the question that, that or at the very end, they say this in the first time, they say, wow, what type of a man is this that he could do this? So remember, this is their, this is their Bible college that they're going through right now. And this is year two of their Bible college. And they're seeing these healings. And not only can Jesus heal the sick, but he has command over nature itself. And um, they're learning these things. Why? Here's another question, and I don't have an answer for this. Why do you think they did not recognize Jesus? Actually, I do have an answer, I think. I just thought about it. 
Why do you, and I, and I believe the answer is probably found in verse number 50. But what they thought they saw a spirit. But, so why do you think that they didn't recognize Jesus? Yeah, but when it says that they think that they saw a spirit, I think they meant this wasn't a good thing. An evil spirit. Right. Yeah. I, I don't even, yeah, I'm not even sure if they, it was an evil spirit. They just didn't think it was Jesus. Anybody else have to take a guess at it? Well, I think it's, again in verse 50, it says, and when they saw him, they were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and said unto them, Be of good cheer. It is I, be not afraid. I think their fear so consumed them that they, they forgot about Jesus. And I think sometimes in a storm brews up in our lives, our fears get so much the better of us and what might happen or how this is going to work out or what are we going to do here that we forget that Jesus is right there really with us in the midst of all of these things. We, in other words, we look at the, we're looking at all of the circumstances. We're not looking at, for, for all they knew, Jesus left them. You know, we're reading the story at the end. I'm sure the last thing on their mind, I'm sure it wasn't even in their mind, despite the fact that they saw all these miracles, that Jesus is going to be able to, nobody's walked on water before, that all of a sudden Jesus is going to walk to them. In fact, he was going to pass right on by, the Bible says. So I think that happens in our lives too. We forget to keep our eyes on Jesus. And then on our hand up, Jesus will always see us through. He'll always see us through as he saw them through. And he said to them, verse 42, listen. He says, um, well, verse 51, and he went up unto them into the ship and the wind ceased. And they were sore amazed. This is the second time the wind ceased in a storm like this. In fact, they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. I mean, they were just blown away by this. Like, not only did Jesus walk to us, but all of a sudden, again, everything just ceased. There was peace. And then the scriptures tell us they considered not the miracle of the loaves. Remember? They, just before they got into the ship, Jesus had taken um, uh, five loaves of bread and two fish and fed probably, it said 500 men. So we don't know how many women and children were there. But at a minimum, I'm going to, well, we know 5,000, but maybe 10,000 people. And not only that, but they had baskets full of food left at the end. And just here it is, just. I don't even think 24 hours later. Their hearts were learning. They were hardened, he said. Their hearts were hardened, and they're going to learn some things, and then they, they pass over. But as we finish up, go to Matthew chapter 14, because this, this is a part of the account that Mark leaves out and Matthew doesn't. Matthew chapter 14 and verse 28. Well, I'll pick it up in verse 27. 
But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. This is quite a moment for Peter. Bid me thou. And I was doing some reading on this, and, um, you know, as uh, I've never studied Greek, as Ethan would always say, I'm not a Greek scholar. He's more, more of a scholar than I am. But some of the things that I read with regards to this, this little phrase, bid me to come, in the Greek, it's really, it's as if someone is asking the king to command him to come. In other words, Peter is recognizing the, he, they're really starting to recognize here the authority of Jesus. And um, I suppose Peter thought, wouldn't you think that Peter thought, well, if Jesus can walk on the water, maybe I can walk on the water too. And uh, so he says, Lord, bid me to come. And so what does Jesus say in verse um, 29? He says, and he said, come. And was, when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Wow. That must have been pretty cool, wouldn't you think? To walk on the water? And, um, you know, I thought, I had, some years ago, we were camping up at Lake George on our, when we had our men's camp out and, and boys' camp out, and one of the guys had a boat. This is about 10 years ago, I guess. Maybe it's even longer, because maybe it's closer to 15. I lose track of time. But I hadn't water skied since I was a teenager. And uh, so, you know, my sons are there, so I'm going to water ski. I'm going to show them how you, how you do this. And um, so I got out into the water. Lake George is cold in June. Let me tell you, it's a cold, cold lake. It's my first weekend in June. So I, uh, it took me seven tries to finally get up on the water skis. And each time I'd get up and bam, you hit the water. And you get up again, and bam, you hit the water. The next morning I got up, I could barely move. <laughs> I felt like somebody took a baseball bat and beat me. But I thought, that's about as close to walking on the water as you can get, right? When you're water skiing on top, pretty cool. You know, be going down through the lake, and you're up on top of the water like that. Have you ever water skied? Yeah, you're looking at me like, what in the world is he talking about? <laughs> so, but here's Peter. He's walking on the water. And uh, verse 30, and when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried, saying, Lord, save me. Well, obviously, the obvious, most well-known answer to why did Peter sink is what? You know, he just took his eyes off the Lord and he looked at his circumstances. And... But Jesus did say, come. So, Peter was not out of the will of God. He was in the will of God. But it teaches us that we can be following the Lord and be in the will of God, but yet somewhere along the way, even when we're in the, we take our eyes off the Lord. And he cries out, Lord, save me. And immediately, verse 31, Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him. And he said, O thee of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And now let me finish with this. I want you to see this. Now again, this is a year now. They, a little over a year they've been walking with the Lord. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand, caught him, and said, Oh, the little faith that we're there. Verse 32, And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Now look what it says. 
Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Thou art the Son of God. Well, just real quickly, go back to Matthew chapter 8. That's the first time that a storm is calm. Matthew chapter 8. So again, in verse 26, Jesus asked the question, Why were you so fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? So you see the difference between Matthew chapter 8 and verse 27 and Matthew chapter number 14? In Matthew chapter 8, they, they're asking, What type of a man is this? That, that even the wind and the sea obey him. Well, a little over a year later, despite the fact that they weren't always strong in the faith, that they weren't always doing exactly what God wanted them to do, uh, you can go back to, to, to Matthew chapter 14, despite the fact, now their response is not what type of man this is, but at the end of verse 33, of a truth, thou art the son of... Thou art the Son of God. That's a huge step of faith. That's a huge transformation. That's all part of their growth, despite their unbelief at times along the way. And so, these storms that come up, these storms, we've seen two storms here. Listen, don't ever forget that it's the Lord that brings you through life. Philippians says this, I have it at the bottom of your handout that we are to be confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. The Lord is working a work in your life. And sometimes along the way, you're going to have to face the storms. And you're going to have to deal with them. Could be a storm of correction. Could be a storm of perfection. But these storms come. And the Lord, he'll see us through it. Remember, he's praying, just like the disciples, he's praying for them, the Lord knows. You're on his thoughts constantly. You're never out of the Lord's thoughts. You always should be mindful of the fact that when you call to the Lord, he comes, he's there. That he'll give us the courage and the strength that we need. And he'll see you through it. One way or the other, he'll see you through it. Because that's the type of God he is. Amen? Amen. Have a word of prayer. Father, bless the morning worship service. Let it bring honor and glory to you. And Lord, we should be thankful for the storms that you bring into our life. Um, there are times that we walk contrary to your will. And we should be thankful that whom the Lord loveth, sometimes he chasteneth to bring us back, put us back on track. And uh, help us to grow too through these storms, to mature in the faith, become the type of disciples that you want each of us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.